This is Alan Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. And for this episode, I'm joined by one of the counselors here at Winning at Home, uh, Stephen Kreitzer. And I'm really excited to have Stephen share today. He is, uh, his background is in church ministry, so he spent years doing uh, really in the trenches ministry on staff at a church before he uh, spent time transitioning and training for counseling. And so now he sees individuals and couples, uh, not all day, every day, because that's too much, but he does like, I don't know, probably 25-ish sessions over the course of a week. And so he and I were talking, and he really has a heart for helping people in their relationships, whether that is uh, in the initial kind of trying to find your potential spouse or after you've been married, working through some things or just kind of making sure that the relationships keep on clicking as we get down the road of living life together in marriage. And so I'm really excited. My wife and I see Stephen as our counselor. And so these pieces of advice and this input that he has, it's not just theoretical for me. Um, He has you know, I think God has used him and his wisdom to really impact my life and my marriage. And so, Stephen, I'm really excited to have you here today. Thanks, Al. Absolutely. I I am too. Uh, Yeah, a lot of people ask me, what do I look for in a spouse if they're looking to get married? And um, I started thinking of that from a counselor's perspective, which is a little different than when I was Oh, 24 or 20 to 24, (laughs) and I was looking for a wife, and um, I started listing some things. Uh, But before we get there, I want to list seven things. What does a healthy person look like? And for most people that I tell that to, they it's a different list than what they have. So Mm -hmm. before we get there, though, I want to just say a few things about relationship in general. If you think about relationships. What are they, and um, why do a lot of people, when they get married, they say, well, you know, when we were dating, you used to do this, and now you don't do that anymore. You must not love me as much, or perhaps um, maybe you don't, um, you're not as good of a person as I thought you were, you tricked me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, All those types of things I hear all of the time. One of the things I want to say is you will attract a person at the same health as you. Uh, Mm. It might look a little different. It might seem, some people might say, well, no, I married this person and they're addicted to this. I'm not addicted to anything. And I'd say, well, you might not be the one who's addicted, but you might be the one who's putting up with it when you really shouldn't. Mm. So you're equally dysfunctional (laughs) in that way, but it might look different. So the good news about that is we get to choose who we attract. So if I attract someone who is not healthy, that's telling me there's probably some uh, places in my life that I'm not healthy. So the good news about that is what I tell people is um, you get to in some way choose how healthy the person is that you are attracting based on your health. Um, Short-term relationships, you could get away with being Um, attracted to or someone being attracted to you 
who is not as healthy as you or maybe a little bit healthier. Mm-hmm. And again, we'll talk about what that means in just a minute. But I tell people, um, as soon as you start getting more and more serious, the relationship will break down on some level. If someone's uh, not as healthy as you, they'll probably need more from you. And you'll you'll say, well, I, I didn't call you because, well, we're just starting to date. And they're like, no, I need you to call me. And they'll ask for things that um, at this point you're like, wow, I, I really didn't think that I needed to function for you on that level. Mm-hmm. And you'll start to see the breakdown and they'll look at you like you're a jerk. Like, wow, you're, I can't believe that you're not willing to give me that compliment or to call me or to come over and help me and do all these types of things um, functioning for you. And that's when the relationship will break down. Or if you're on the um, the unhealthy side, you'll start to realize, man, I'm jealous of them. I'm jealous of their time. You'll start to see all these start um, types of things show up. So as far as a um, two people who are equally at the same health, then you will have the ability to start to think about a long-term relationship. And this is one of the things that people don't realize that as soon as you go from a short-term to a long-term relationship, all the rules change. Well, maybe not all of them, but many of them. Um, short-term relationships are pretty easy. If you think of a short-distance run, um, anybody can run a little distance, even if it's just 100 feet. But long-term distance running or long-distance running takes some training. Um, it takes a lot more endurance. It, it takes a lot more wisdom to know how to do it. And nobody, unless they're in that, is prepared for that. So you don't prepare yourself for marriage. People ask me, marriage prepares you for marriage, which is really hard for someone like me that would like to get an education first and then get into my area. Right. Or I would like to practice it when nobody's watching. Once you're in um, a relationship, that's that's where you learn. Hmm. And so a lot of people have problems with that. And so as soon as they go from dating to marriage, they start to see all of these different dynamics start showing up that were never there before. Yeah. As you're saying that, I was kind of thinking through how, you know, I think for most people, we probably never thought through the things that you're talking about right now, but on some intuitive level, I think we know it. Like as soon as you're saying that, I'm thinking, oh yeah, well that makes sense why you can ask somebody, hey, this person that you're seeing, is it serious? And we know what that means and they know how to answer right away. You know, if it's Mm -hmm. like, no, not really, just we're kind of hanging out, we have fun together, whatever. But they're not thinking of this as somebody that they're trying to transition a short-term relationship into a long-term relationship because for whatever reason they've picked up on this. Yeah, we're not really either at the same place or we don't really want that right now or whatever. Um, That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think it helps people when they understand that the rules are going to change as soon as they walk down the aisle or when they're engaged, um, and so once we understand that, um, maybe at some point we can talk about those rules. I yeah. call it the ecology of marriage. And every marriage has its own ecology, and it's the same ecology. And I tell people, just because you're Christians and you're marrying doesn't mean the ecology of your marriage is different than two people who aren't Christians. Mm. 
which a lot of times people will think, well, we're Christians, we're not going to get a divorce, and so we'll treat our marriage poorly. Because hmm. um, it's just a guaranteed thing that's going to last forever. Yeah. Wow. But I'm saying, no, it doesn't matter. Um, and I talk about the marriage plant. If you think about a plant, it has its own ecology. Um, if you have a marriage plant, every time you meet needs and love each other, you're watering that plant. Well, a plant isn't Christian or non-Christian. A plant is a plant. And really, the rules of a long-term relationship has its own ecology. It's neither Christian nor non-Christian. It just is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a long-term relationship. And so um, that's something to be aware of um, when we're getting married. Because just the reality. It, you can't get outside of these bounds because this is what it means to be in a long-term relationship, a stable, healthy marriage. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the goal of long-term relationships, this is something I tell people over and over, that marriage is a people-growing machine. Now, certainly um, for some marriages it could be um, procreation. It might not be. But um, we could talk about a lot of things that marriage could be. Um, it could be something that meets needs for you, like um, companionship, love, um, sexual intimacy, all those types of things. But one of the main things that marriage is, it's a people-growing machine. It forces you to have to grow in ways that you've never had to grow before. Mm-hmm. Again, the only thing that prepares you for marriage, a long-term re- relationship, is the actual long-term relationship. Um, and so knowing that it's a people-growing machine, it, it really brings, I think, a lot of beauty into a marriage where you start to see sanctification come in, that old word that we used to think about in systematic theology. Um, It's the process by which after we belong to Christ, he's trying to conform us into his image, and the Holy Spirit certainly has a a place in that. But what it's doing um, every day, it's forcing me to have to change and grow. Um, Because to me, marriage, a long-term relationship, is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Being a parent is hard. Being married is harder, in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone I talk to uh, that I talk to in my counseling practice would probably say the same thing, mm-hmm. is an extremely difficult thing. So as I get better at my marriage, I'm growing as a person. Um, yeah, I, I've talked about that before uh, in a previous episode, but I talked about the idea that uh, my wife, Annalise, has pointed out things about me, both things that were positive traits and things that were negative traits that nobody in my life has ever noticed before. And when she points out the positive things, I'm like, hey, that's awesome. Cool. There's more of me that, you know, is great. So let's celebrate that. But when she points out the negative things, I'm pretty naturally going to go, well, no one else has ever had a problem with that before. And I, in my head, I'm not going to say this, but I'm thinking, sounds like that's a her problem instead of a me problem. And I'm wondering how often you watch that play out in, you know, I, I love the way that you're characterizing marriage as a people growing machine, because I, I think anybody that's listening can go, oh, yeah, I, that makes a whole lot of sense and lines up exactly with my own experience. Um I love that. That's great. 
And, and just to um, make sure I'm not plagiarizing here, that did come from Dr. David Schnarch from his book, Intimacy and Desire. I did not coin that, <laughs> that right. phrase, hey. people growing machine. Um, but I, I love it so much that I've just made it my own um, because it is true. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought I was a great person. I had this um, this joke with Amy Jo, my wife, um, that I when we first got married, I'm like, hey, I really want you to get to know other men and like hang out with them so that you're so thankful for who I am. <laughs> and after about a year of that, I'm like, no, maybe not, because I started to realize <laughs> as I looked in the mirror of my marriage um, that I wasn't so great. Some more shortcomings than you were aware of at the beginning, huh? Horrible. So um, I would like to talk about those seven things that as a counselor, I would say these are the seven things that you could look for um, if you're wanting to marry a healthy person, you can also look at it in your own life. And I just want to say none of us get an A on these seven things. Um, so please don't look at this and say, wow, I married the wrong person mm-hmm. or I'm looking for someone. Nobody fits this or I don't even fit this. So I guess I'm never going to get married. All we're doing here is we're trying to minimize these things as much as we can in our life um, or maximize them if they're a good thing. Um, and so what does a healthy person look like? And, and to me, um, we don't really talk about that a lot. Um, kids who are 18, 19, 20, or in their early 20s getting married. Um, so the first one I, I want to talk about is the cliche one, and we'll just get this one out of the way. But to me, it's the most important, obviously, is um, their walk with God. And what I mean by that, uh, I have to be careful because in a Bible Beltish type society, everybody would say, well, yeah, I'm I'm a Christian. I walk with God. I got baptized or saved when I was little. Um, What I mean by that is um, a Jesus follower. So someone who isn't adding Jesus and his life to your life, like as just like an Mm add-on, it's putting Jesus in the center. And then everything that I am and do gets defined and, and wrecked by that. Um, and so that would be going against the American dream, which I'm dealing with right now and trying to figure that out, um, and letting Jesus' life be at the center, and that's how I'm going to live rather than it just being an add-on. To me, that's the quickest way um, to try to figure that out. It's not church attendance. It's not how much the person's praying or devotions, although those are probably some good things to ask too. Yeah, for sure. That stuff, that's just um, the discipline of what we grew up hearing about in the church, that's huge. Uh, But as my wife and I have gotten into marriage, we've noticed that we really connect with God and we really grow in ways that are pretty significantly different from one another. And, you know, as we're talking about this, I was just thinking about um, the book Sacred Pathways. And I don't know if you're listening to this, if you're familiar with that idea, um, but it's the idea that there are different ways that all of us connect with God. And so throughout the book, this is something that we, you know, I didn't think of it until we're sitting in here talking. So I don't have this stuff off the top of my head, but I know that there are people who uh, connect with God more naturally when they're out in nature. There are others who connect more with God when they're uh, actively involved in serving. There are others that really connect with the emotional side of worship and adoration, those kind of things. And 
it can be easy. We look at it and go, hey, in my own 20-year walk with God or whatever, this is how God has moved. This is how he's taught me. And if I'm doing that and Annalise is doing that and those ways aren't the same, then we're going to have some friction, ironically, because both of us are pursuing God, but we're trying to force the other person to do it our way. And one thing that Annalise has really helped me to see uh, and has had some huge wisdom in this area is she's said, you know, as she's describing that difference between her and I, she tells people, you know, we both have really had to figure out that at the end of the day, I trust how Alan pursues God and Alan trusts how I pursue God. And it's not the exact same way, but we trust that it's coming from the same place because we both want to be closer to him. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, yeah, and I, I think you're making a great point there because as you look at someone, you might say, well, we're, you're not as spiritual as me or your walk mm-hmm. isn't as great because you don't read the Bible as much as I do. Or, And the other person's like, well, I meet with God out in nature yeah. on a yeah. run. Yeah. And you don't do that. And right. You misunderstand each other totally. Mm-hmm. That's great. I would say, too, um, the number one thing with uh, walking with God is seeing how it's changing the person. I really believe that it should change who they are. Um, my grandpa was probably still one of the most learned men I know or I knew. He passed away about 15 years ago. But um, he's the type of person that brought his big Bible to church and would have all these colored pencils and um, would read all of Calvin's stuff. Like he had his own personal library in his upstairs. Like it was a literal library. And every night he would spend his whole night reading. But as I saw how he was, how much time was he spending with his kids? My dad's still angry at him. He spent no time with him. Um, My grandma, after he died, um, became a whole new person. Mm -hmm. Um, I found her, um, crying one time in the pantry because the way he was treating her. And I, I started as a young kid thinking, well, what good is this? Like if I know a lot about God, if I'm go- he's going to church, he's a deacon, he's doing all these things. But the way that he is, his personality, the way he's dealing with people hasn't changed at all. Hmm. Hmm. And that forever changed me of, and I think part of the reason why I got into counseling is because I like to see how walking with God literally, in a concrete way, changes the way I treat people yeah, and um, how I see people. And so I think the walk with God thing, like what you're saying, the disciplines are huge. If, if you're with someone and they're not doing any sort of discipline, chances are they're not walking with God because they're not even connecting with Him in any sort of way. But be careful because it might not be the way that we connect. Yeah. But also, yeah, just thinking about how it's changing them as a person. There should be a marked difference in how they're treating you, how they treat others, and all the other things that we're going to talk about. So, yeah, that's number one. Okay, yeah, that's a great point, number one. And so now what's number two? Yeah, so if we talk about number two, um, I would call it um, having no addictions or minimal Um, And I realize, at least in my opinion, we all have an addiction that we can pull out of our back pocket at any point. And some people might say, 
well, it's not a full-blown addiction. Maybe it's a dependency or um, something that we use to numb, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It's something that um, when we try to stop, it's really difficult. It might be something that even though we know this is something I need to do for my spouse or my kids, I'm going to choose this other thing instead. So anything that we get caught up in that's causing us to make bad choices, I yeah. would call an addiction. Yeah, of some so let sort. me, you know, because I think that probably some people are going to hear it and they're going to say, okay, well, I have an addict in my family and we're talking like alcoholic, drug addiction, and I'm not anywhere on that spectrum. But what you're getting at here with this idea sounds more like if I'm going to do something unhealthy, here's what it's going to be. You know, not necessarily that it's a quote-unquote addiction, but that it's something that when I'm going to go off the rails, when I'm going to do something that's going to hurt me or others or my relationship with God, here's what it's going to be. Because we probably all have those kind of one, two, three, five things where we know, okay, I'm really weak in this area. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of those things aren't big deals to other people, like the fact that I love to eat sweets. Mm -hmm. Amy Jo winks at that. She thinks it's funny. Um, She will laugh, but they will hide the cookies from me, um, and that's very important. But some other things she might not like, or if someone's addicted to shopping and the other person really needs to stay feel safe by having a lot of savings, Mm -hmm. you can see where that's going to cause a lot of problems. And at the addiction level, no matter how much you talk about it, it's probably going to be there on some level. Yeah, well, my mind immediately went to some of the stuff that we go to online to try to kind of, I don't know, dull the pain of what we're dealing with in regular life or just kind of escape. And so I was immediately thinking of, like you just mentioned, shopping is one, mm-hmm. porn is one, oh, yeah. gambling is one, yep. uh, all that kind of stuff that can just be, you know, that can be done in the dead of the night on my phone, laying in bed. Nobody knows what I'm spending money on or what I'm spending time looking at or whatever. Right. And, you know, when you're cutting other people out, that stuff thrives. Right but it's terrifying to bring it into the light for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I love that. That's great. Which is why it doesn't happen when you're dating. <laughs> like yeah, who yeah, wants true. to talk about that? <laughs> hey, by the way, I have problems with pornography, honey. Um, she's like, what? Um, so those are usually the things that we don't lead with. Yeah. We want to hide those yeah. um, because we're ashamed of them. But it is important to know what those are. Mm-hmm. We, we all have something. So like I said, we're trying to at least know what they are so you can make an informed decision when you get married. At least you know what you're getting into. Yep. Or you may choose to say, man, this is just too much for me. I, I don't want to um, marry someone who's addicted to alcohol or drugs or pornography or whatever, shopping. Yeah. Um, and that's their right to know that. Some people are getting married at such a young age, though, to where they might think, well, this isn't really an addiction. I could quit if I wanted to. Yeah. So again, that's why a lot of people will come to me after they've been married for 25 years and they've been caught in this power struggle of alcohol or drugs or pornography. And they're like, why didn't, I knew that they were involved with this, but they told me that it wasn't a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of times people feel like they're duped 
when they get married, they're like, oh, I, if I would have known. Yeah. I hear that all the time in my sessions. And so that's why this addiction conversation is a really important one. It could be a deal breaker, though, when yeah. you're dating. So. Yeah, for sure. But I love the idea because... Uh, it's important to have these conversations with somebody that you're saying, okay, we're going to link our lives together. Mm -hmm. And if you're not talking about, okay, here are my addictions or borderline addictions or my tendencies when I'm overwhelmed or stressed or unhealthy, and I want you to know about that because even though we're in this early phase of things and it's kind of the quote unquote, put your best foot forward time of our relationship. Right. right. Uh, who I am is more than just the best face, the best sheen that I can put on things. And if we're going to share life together, we need to be honest about actual all of life instead of the things that I want you to know about. Yeah, it's a great point. So, um, if they're not forthright with that, one place to find all of these problems or addictions is in their family of origins. So that's number three. Mm. Um, you can find a lot out about a person just by being with their family. Mm. And it's about being with them in different types of situations. You really would like to see the parents talk to each other when they're stressed, when um, how they deal with their kids. What's their family life like? Do they spend a lot of time together? Do they, is their thing of marriage more or less like, well, we're just roommates? Hmm. And that's, all of those things have made a huge impression on the person you're about to marry. And most of the time, those things aren't going to change unless there's a lot of effort. Um, and so it's just important to know who you're, what the family is like that you're um, marrying into, um, more than just, well, we get along and they're for mm -hmm. our marriage. You're looking at communication patterns, how they've set up their marriage, what's important to them, um, what are their values. Because I don't care how much someone says hateful things about their mom and dad and that, oh, I hate that, I don't want to be like that. They are going to be exactly like that unless they've done a lot of hard work to change it. And a lot of times they don't know that it's showing up until they get married. Yeah, I was going to say, I think part of the reason why that's probably so natural is because it's just how life goes. Right. When you grow up in a home, you think that that is normal. Whatever behavior takes place in the home, you're like, oh, this is just the way things are. Yeah. And then whenever you, you know, it doesn't even have to be getting married, but if you get out of the home and spend some significant time with another family or somebody else, maybe a roommate in college. This is where a lot of those blow-ups of best friends happen, you know, because right. it's like you're just throwing your stuff everywhere or you're expecting me to clean up or whatever. And it's all this stuff that's like, well, I just thought that was the way things went. Right. And if you're going into a marriage relationship and both of you have such different starting points of what normal is mm -hmm. because you haven't identified this uh, family background and you haven't figured out, okay, what is it that in this home looks like just regular life, but to me looks bizarre and right. vice versa? Because, you know, even as you're saying that, I can think of a handful of things that 
whenever we spend time around Annalise's side of the family, things that jump out at me that I'm like, wow, that's so weird that they do it this way. And the same happens with her when we're around my side of the family. She's like, I don't really know how to function in this environment when this happens because it's just not the way that my family did things. Yeah, it's so true. And it's so important because a lot of the things that I deal with in marriage therapy are coming back to these things of Mm -hmm. like, they're just so animate about, well, the house needs to be cleaned. I'm like, well, actually, where have you read that? Like, where's that coming from? Well, that's just how it is. That's yeah. just, that's how it should be. And like you said, we get our worldview from how our family is, and we think that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had people want to get divorced over the fact that the house isn't organized and cleaned as much as it they want it to be. Wow. Um, so those things, believe it or not, are very, very important. Yeah. It seemed like kind of a, eh, we can work through that. And you can. Sure. But it's going to be a whole lot easier if you intentionally get on the same page or at least figure out where you're not on the same page before you start moving forward. Right. Yeah, that's great. And you'll also see the addictions and how they deal with stress pop Mm -hmm. up in the family of origin. So even if they're not showing it at that time, chances are it's going to show up. Um, Some some, um, addictions or even... Uh, mental disorders don't show up until late 20s, early 30s. So it's very important to look at the family of origin. Are there anxiety disorders or mood disorders in in the family? So we'll talk about that a little bit later, but family of origin is huge. Number four, um, no major traumas or have at least worked through them. And I just tell people, no huge events that have gone on in your uh, particular spouses or spouse to be's life, because that will affect them tra- tremendously, traumatically, or dramatically if they um, have not worked through them. So thank goodness there are great ways now in therapy to work through traumas. Yeah. Um, so all of them are are they're you're capable of processing all of them, but people who don't treat them it creates a lot of problems. I I can't tell you how many men come to me and say hey. We're not um, sexually intimate hardly at all, and my wife just doesn't want to do it. And I'm like, okay, I wonder what's going on there. And when come to find out, he finds out later, or he knew that she was um, sexually abused mm-hmm. by her dad or a neighbor or whomever, and um, it's affecting their marriage in a big way. Um, so thankfully, like I said, if you get help, you can overcome those, but some things are really difficult to overcome. Yeah, why well, I, I like the way that you have been talking about that because when I first heard it, you know, it's like, okay, a healthy person looks like having experienced no major trauma or they work through it. And I'm like, okay, so I'd say that, you know, we're really uh, shrinking the pool down here of who's healthy because – I don't fit into that category for sure, and yeah. I don't know. I'm guessing that you probably don't either. I'm just getting dealing with some yeah. traumas that I had growing up, and I'm yeah. 44, so yeah. Yeah, so I like that where this is very distinct from saying like, well, don't link yourself with somebody who's been through some tough stuff. Right. It's saying instead, you know, make sure that you're with somebody who is pursuing emotional health that they would work through the stuff that they inevitably have been through in the past. And whether, you know, some of us have had 
pretty easy lives. And the traumas, quote unquote, that we've been through have been pretty minor. Right. Uh, but there are people who have who have been through some really horrific, horrific things. And this is not saying, oh, okay, then that person's no longer a legitimate person to be in a relationship with. Right. But it's saying you want to be with somebody who, no matter what they've experienced in the past, they're working on working through that stuff. Yeah, and, and knowing that what it's going to cost them to work through that, mm. um, depending on how big the trauma or the event was that created the trauma for them. Um, so even if they're willing to, it's, it's knowing that, wow, this might be a long road, even though you're willing to work through this. And so at least I know that, yeah. and I'm making the choice to be with you and to, to go through that with you. So again, it's about making a informed decision there. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. Number five, um, how they handle anxiety. Um, usually people think of uh, finances and sex are the two major killers of marriage. Um, I think anxiety is the third one. Hmm. Um, it's the one that gets the least amount of press. But in my therapy um, as a counselor, I've, I've noticed that this is probably the biggest killer, how people deal with stress. What do they do when they feel anxious or stressed? A lot of people say, well, we can't communicate. We have a hard time communicating and they tell me for 30 to 40 minutes in a really good way, like really well communicated, um, of how bad they are at communicating. Mm-hmm. So I know it's not necessarily the skill. And they're like, well, it's so easy to talk about it in here and with other people. I'm like, well, that tells you something. In the moment when you get worked up, stressed, anxious, how do you respond? And then those are the problems that we're trying to work through. So it's really helping people learn how to soothe their own anxiety rather than trying to control everything that's going on outside of them. They're learning to control what's going on inside Mm. of them. Yeah, that's great. And as you're talking, I'm wondering, you know, do you have in your head, we haven't talked about this, so I'm putting you on the spot, but do you have in your head, like, these are the top three, four, five most common things that when people are dealing with anxiety, it's where that's coming from. So, you know, as we're listening, we can go, oh, yeah, I guess I am carrying a little bit more anxiety related to this upcoming project at work or, you know, the end of the year is coming up and I don't know how good, you know, of a job my kids are doing in school and I really hope they pass this class or, you know. Yeah, it could be um, both and, right? It could be things that are just happening in my life that are circumstantial that have nothing to do with really my wife or my kids. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, how I'm handling that. And we might call that burnout or I'm stressed out, um, but it does create anxiety. Um, so I actually, I wasn't even thinking of that. So that's good that you brought that up because that is a huge part of this. Um, I think what I was talking about was um, internal struggle of how does my wife think about me? Hmm. Or are we disconnected now that yeah. you've brought this up? Are you mad at me? Um how is our relationship going to get resolved or not resolving something in the moment? And the other person's like, well, I need to, I need to think about this for a day. And the other person's like, whoa, I'm feeling super anxious. What am I supposed to do until then? All those types of things. But I'm glad you brought up the other because I have couples that come in and say, man, my job's not doing well. And ever since he's lost his job or she hasn't done well at work or she didn't get that promotion, 
she's been hard to live with. Like, mm-hmm. it's just really hard. And I think all of us, when we're stressed out, I'm, I'm not great to live with at all. Me neither. I get really mean and those hangry commercials or whatever. I'm like, yeah, I can get <laughs> angry just when I'm hungry. I'm yeah. stressed out about being hungry um, or just really impatient or there's just like I shut down. Yep. I'm not a great person to be around. I'm not showing the person that I did when I was dating. Definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, I totally relate. I'm I'm the shut down kind of person usually. Yeah. And it's like just eh, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. I'm trying to pretend like I'm not feeling this anxiety and stress. So to talk about it would be the opposite of what I feel like I need right now. Right. Even though it's not actually what I need, it's what I feel like I need. Yeah. So, man, we could talk a lot about that. This this goes into a lot of different areas, but how you handle anxiety can make or break communication. It can make or break your sex life. Um, studies will talk about how anxiety will increase men's libido, and it severely decreases a woman's libido. Huh. So if we're talking about that, that can really mess up a marriage just because of that. For sure, yeah. If you were already dealing with the stress and all that stuff, and all of a sudden there's going to be extra tension because you're going completely opposite ways on sex drive. Yeah, wow. And maybe at at one point we can talk about that stuff in detail. For sure. um, How we handle anxiety is a a big one. Um, Number six is self-image. And this is where I think most people find their anxiety relationally. We're always wondering or have a pulse on, like, how are you responding to me right now? And I think that's pretty normal mm-hmm. um, if we're trying to figure out how did you like what I just said or did you like it or did you think that was funny or what do you think of me? All those types of things. Um, our self-image to me is the first thing that I tackle when I'm trying to help people with their marriage mm-hmm. um, because to me that is the crux of almost every problem in a marriage, if I could say it that strongly. Um, So self-image, does the person have a good self-image? In my opinion, if they don't, they're going to borrow functioning from you. They're going to try to function off of you. Uh, Everything you do will be critiqued. It'll feel like you're walking on a tightrope. You'll feel controlled because you have to respond a certain way in order for them to feel good about themselves. Um, so self-image is a big one. Also with um, sex drive, uh, for both men and women, it can greatly affect your sexual intimacy of whether or not you want to have it or how vulnerable you want to be. Yeah. If someone doesn't feel good about themselves, intimacy is almost impossible because self-intimacy intim- is self-disclosure. That's the definition. So if I don't feel good about myself, I don't really want to disclose who I am either emotionally or physically or in a lot of other ways. So I'm going to hide that from my spouse. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Wow. Yeah, yeah so that's a that's a really big one. Um, and these aren't in any particular order, um, but I would, if I were to order them, I would put that more up towards the mm-hmm. top. So the last one, number seven, do they have the skill for healthy relationships and communication? And this one's big. Um, if you think about boundaries um, or setting up how you set up the relationship. A lot of people will set up a relationship in their marriage to be where one person is doing for the other and the other is accepting that. Mm -hmm. And then later on, like 15, 20 years later, they come to me and say, 
my spouse doesn't love me. They don't do things for me. I'm like, well, how did you set up the relationship? Well, now you're trying to change the whole paradigm of how you set this up. And so now it's hard for them to say, well, this is what I married. I married into where you do for me and I um, receive. And now you're wanting me to actually do for you without you even asking me to. This, mm. is, this is weird to me. Those things can be changed, but it would be better if you just talked about that at the very beginning of, of very awkward things of like, hey, how do you see our relationship? Like what, what's the unwritten contract that we've made? Like what is our relationship like? Do we have an interdependent relationship where we're both giving and receiving freely? Or is that unbalanced in some way? And so a lot of that has to do with self-image. If someone doesn't have a good self-image, they feel like they have to give in order to receive and hundreds of other problems that can come from that. Um, Also, do they have the skill of communication? Um, Again, you can look at their family of origin. Mom and dad are going to teach them that. And if they don't teach them, then they're going to have to learn. Like probably most of us as an adult, we Mm -hmm. get a good book. Nonviolent Communication, I think, is a great book for that um, by Marshall Rosenberg. But um, just going to great seminars on communication as a couple there's a lot to learn there. And I tell couples when they're going to get married, if you buy something that costs $50,000 or $100,000 and it comes with a booklet, and let's say it's a really thick one, and you look at that and you say, well, I just don't feel like messing with that. Who's going to do that? You've invested a lot <laughs> of money into this product. You're just you're like, well, I guess I'm going to have to take the time and learn how to do this. With a marriage, it's that way. It's You've invested a lot of time and energy and emotion into this. There is a huge handbook. And you're, you're best just to say, okay, let's just sit into this and let's learn a little bit each week or each month. Go to counseling if you need to or read these resources. Go to any number of churches that are having great um, workshops on communication but learning the skill of communication is a must if you're going to have a good marriage. Yeah, that is something that, um, you know, when Annalise and I saw you as a couple, that's one of the things that we were really focusing in on and trying to figure out, okay, you know, it's funny because I'm looking through this list and I'm realizing how many of these seven things were kind of tied into what we were talking about with you when we came to see you. And Um, You know, as you're talking about communication, I was thinking how interesting it is to see how, for Annalise and I, our families of origin affect our communication style. Mm -hmm. And I've talked about this a little before in a previous episode, but uh, the Seaborn side of, you know, Annalise and I is now family unit. My family is really wired toward confronting. And mm-hmm. something's not going to sit and just lay undealt with because we're going to confront it. And often that happens even where there's nothing that really actually needs to be confronted. Yeah. And Annalise's side of the family, the Dykstra family, uh, they are really wired toward nurturing and kindness and and just wanting to make sure that everyone's doing well, doing on things on the same page, things are going great. And so it's funny because um, when we're with her side of the family and something needs to be confronted, 
I really have an opportunity in that moment to kind of shine because I'm like, hey, I've been training for this my whole life. And when we're with my side of the family and confrontation has gotten out of hand and things need to be reconciled and restored, Annalise is awesome at that. Hmm. You know, she'll go and she'll pull one or two of us into, you know, a separate space and just have a little time talking about it. And I love to see how even if our our natural style of dealing with this stuff isn't the same, mm-hmm. how through getting together and saying, hey, we know that we're not naturally the same way when situations arise, right. but how can we work together in the midst of it and communicating I didn't mean to say this, but communicating about communicating yeah. has been huge. It feels like we have more um, conflict when we're talking about communication <laughs> yeah. rather than when we're actually in the midst of doing it. It's really crazy. Yeah. But this stuff is huge, and I've seen that play out in our relationship too. Yeah. Good. Great. Well, those are seven things that maybe people don't think of when mm-hmm. they're looking for a mate, or if you're just looking to help yourself become a healthier person in your relationship. You're already married um, with your kids, with your spouse. That list will keep you busy for the rest of your life. Well, that was a question that I kind of had as I was thinking through this list, as we've been talking through it. There are people, I'm sure, that have been listening and they're going, okay, this is about attracting a healthy spouse, partner, mate, whatever. Well, I'm already 20 years into my relationship and, you know, we maybe do one, three, and five pretty good, but the rest of those on there, um, we're not in a good spot with that. Right. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on what you would say to somebody who's in that spot? Yeah, and I would say you have to see this as a journey. So Mm -hmm. nobody, um, what I don't want people to hear is that you have to, nail these before you get married or whatever. Um, It's a journey that you're just aware of these things. I think awareness is probably the best word for these things, um, that you know that I have to work on these things in order to become a healthy person, which hopefully for my theology is synonymous with Mm -hmm. Christ-like. As I talked about my grandpa um, a while ago, and I think that... um, seeing this as I'm going to work on these things for the long haul. And that's why number one is number one, Mm. because I think someone who's walking with God will look at this list and say, man, I I can see destruction in some of these. Mm. Um, And so I want to be open and honest with God, myself, and others who are closest to me so that I can get rid of this destruction that will destroy me, my wife, my husband, my kids, my aunt, my uncle, whomever. And that's really the kingdom of God. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, it is a long-term goal. It's never too late to start. Um, be humble. Um, I think your dad um, is the one who would always ask either you guys or people here at work or whomever, his wife, that, hey, how am I doing? Like, what what am I missing? Mm. And I think that's a great question to ask in humility, and then to not kick your spouse when they're down. If your spouse mm-hmm. comes to you and says, hey, I would, I've, I'm looking at this, and I really need to work on um, how I handle anxiety. 
the other person, if they're like me, sees that as their opportunity <laughs> to make their point or to rub it in their face or whatever you look at. Don't do that. They've already, they're already on the ground on their back saying mercy. Don't kick them when they're down. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's great because it, it's totally natural yeah. to in that moment go, well, yeah, I've been trying to tell you that for years <laughs> or, man, I've told you, I've pointed this out in so many different ways. Right. Why couldn't you just learn from my wisdom that I was trying to give you? I know. And, yeah, that is not going to build your relationship, no. even if it for a brief 30-second window might make you feel good. Right. It's not going to be worth it. Right. I did that to my wife when she was being honest about something, and I'm glad that she told me this, and if you have to do this as the other spouse, she said, man, I feel like I was being vulnerable with you, and you kicked me when I was down. Mm. And as a husband, I tell you what, that really, I still remember that. That was about five or six years ago. And I still remember that moment very um, distinctly. I never want to be the husband that kicks my wife when she's down, just that word picture. And so if your spouse does do this, you can just kindly be vulnerable back and say, I want to be vulnerable with you. And I feel like I'm telling you what I'm, I need to work on. But you just pushing that on me and the way you're talking to me through this, it feels like you're kicking me when I'm down. Mm. Um, it doesn't make me want to be vulnerable. Hopefully the other person will be able to hear that yeah. and, um, and change. So hum- a lot of humility here, I guess, is the word. For sure. I mean, as I'm thinking through these seven things, I'm looking at some stuff that Annalise and I, uh, or a lot of the things I'm noticing are things I need to work on. Yeah. Uh, but some conversations that we'll have. And I'm sure that as other people have been listening, there are, a bunch of different conversations that are kind of bubbling up in our minds that are going to be taking place over the next uh, days and weeks to come. Mm. And so, Stephen, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate your insight and the wisdom that you've gained from meeting with individuals and couples over years and distilling that down and really helping us to know as we're pursuing uh people that we want to be in relationship with mm-hmm. or as we're uh, nurturing the relationship that we're in currently and that we want to make that last for the long haul. Uh, this is some really great wisdom and I think a lot of people are going to um, see a lot of positive impact as a result of what you shared today. So thanks for being here. Oh yeah, my pleasure.